Next up on the schedule is the LNG panel. Uh, me, myself, Mats B is here with Nikolai Duvik. We're analysts from, uh, from DNB following the LNG market closely. And in the panel today, we have Harald Gurvin, who's been seven years the CFO of uh, SFL Corporation, and now has been one year at Flex LNG as CFO also there. We also have Andrew Orkar. He's been CFO of Gaslog MLP since its IPO in 2014, and a director in the company since 2016. It's a pleasure to both of you. Uh, it's a pleasure to have both of you here in the panel. Okay, so uh, we're going to structure this uh, discussion somehow in three three different parts. We'll first do some some quick discussion on the recent market trends uh, before we move on to some ESG consideration, LNG demand side considerations will follow, and then uh, at the end, if we have time, some some supply side considerations of the market. So starting on the recent trends, we're now seeing rates move above six digits at so almost $130,000 per day. Uh, I want to ask you, both of you how we should think about the sustainability of the current uh, rates. We heard that there will be some vessels returning to market in, in November, and if this could distort the, the good earnings that we're seeing currently. Yeah, thanks. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I think it must be the, the smallest panel with the, with the biggest upside, uh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I mean, what, you, what you've seen this year is really, um, you know, we, we, saw, we saw the same spike last year uh, in, in the market. Rates going through the roof. Um, then, of course, you had um, uh, El Nino in Asia which meant uh, a lot of the demand fell away uh, going into to next year. <coughs> uh, and there were a lot of vessels available. Uh, you saw the market picking up again, sort of uh, February to April, with pretty good uh, demand, uh, a lot of new LNG coming online. Uh, and then uh, the LNG price fell. So it's been uh, sort of a, a bit of a disappointing year, but uh, let's not forget uh, that there were more molecules than vessels uh, coming also this year, but it's just that uh, those molecules have been uh, moved to Europe instead of Asia. And of course, that's, uh, it's all about ton miles, really, and um, you know, going to Europe is uh, half the distance than going to, to Asia. Uh, we see a bit of the same trend now. Uh, I mean, we've uh, always uh, been, uh, been uh, bull on, on the market this year. Um, and uh, right now, you, you see more, uh, you know, storage in Europe is uh, basically full. You see more vessels uh, heading towards, uh, towards Asia. And right now, there are basically no, no vessels available. Um, you know, we've uh, only focused on, uh, on the latest generation vessels, and um, rates quoted for this uh, right now is 145,000. So basically, double just over the last weeks. Um, is it sustainable? Um, yeah, I think it depends a bit, uh, a bit on... <laughs> we've sort of become a, a bit of a weather derivative, really, the, the LNG space. If we have a, a cold winter in, uh, in Asia this year, I think, um, you know, the market is, is definitely going to hold up. Um, uh, and also, you know, the, the sort of chance of an El Nino two years in a row is, uh, is pretty low. 
Um, and of course, going into to 2020, uh, you have again the situation with, uh, with more molecules uh, than vessels coming online. So it's really down to what trading pattern you're going to see next year. Uh, but we are, are definitely um, positive on the, on the market outlook uh, also uh, going into next year. And, and if I may just add, um, firstly, thanks to DNB and, and Capital Link for having uh, Gaslog attend and present at the, your conference. Um, what I would say echoes the comments of my colleague from Flex. This has been a, a year where uh, it was apparent that a structural shortage of shipping was likely to come in the peak demand season, which we're, we're in now. It's obviously not, not cold yet here in New York, but in terms of the LNG market, uh, arranging cargoes for December delivery is, is uh, what we're doing today. And so that, that uh, reflects the, the rates that were mentioned. Uh, but the, the, the recent uptick in rates, I think, is much more driven by uh, the ongoing growth in liquefaction, much of it coming here in the States, and the very resilient demand uh, for the commodity that we've seen uh, globally, uh, with, with Asia you know, continuing to, to lead the way, which in many cases is the furthest distance that the cargoes can travel. So. Um, whether it's sustainable, uh, you know, we certainly see uh, a very attractive outlook for the remainder of 19 and 20. Um, of course, there'll probably be some seasonality uh, as we transition uh, through the spring shoulder season, but it does feel like the fundamentals are really supporting the market uh, at its core. And next year, we'll have uh, an additional 20-odd uh, million tons of new liquefaction coming online from the states, which is roughly double what we're exporting today. So the, the same trends are poised to continue for the next 6 to 18 months from, from where we see it. <clears throat> We've done some calculation on like time charter strategy versus spot strategy, and, and the time charter has outperformed spot by about $40,000 a day over the past eight years. Uh, and now we start to see uh, uh, Index-linked uh, spot uh, vessels, where you have uh, security on the for fixed at least the utilization uh, of the ship. Uh, uh, Flex, you have lots of spot ships today. Uh, look to do more long term. So, so how how do you see this? Is, is this spot market developing as one forecasted a few years back, or is is, is time charter now the the best way to play the market? No, I think uh, <clears throat> I mean we've been pretty clear on the on the strategy the whole whole time, and that is uh, not being a, a 13 vessel spot operator. You know, right now we have six vessels on on the water, all delivered uh, last year and and this year. We have another five coming next year, um, and and then uh, two more coming in 21. But uh, you know we've. Um, sort of also not wanted to be the, the first movers on uh, entering into more uh, long-term uh, charters. Basically because uh, we see that the market will be uh, very tight going into next year. So of course, and also uh, an another feature we have is that, uh, you know, it's, there's no requirement uh, for uh, long-term charters in our financings, which uh, you see uh, a lot of the other uh, players, they have to do a charter in order to get a financing. But, uh, you know, I always tell my banks, uh, you know, leave the chartering strategy to us because the banks are not uh, good at chartering out uh, vessels. So it's been, uh, you know, this has been, um, been the, the whole uh, the strategy the whole time. And if you look at the, the fleet today, we have entered into some sort of, some sort of one to two year charters uh, on part of the fleet. Um, some are fixed, some are market linked. Uh, we don't mind uh, 
having exposure to the market uh, through, uh, through a fixed, but uh, right now uh, focus is, is really on, uh, on securing a more uh, you know, longer term business, because that's really where our vessels belong. You know, we have uh, only the latest generation, you know, compared to the sort of first generation uh, steam vessels, these are, you know, 30% uh, bigger and used half the fuel. So they are uh, the ones that should, <laughs> should be on long-term charters. And that's sort of a, a paradox in the LNG space is that you have the, the least efficient vessels, the, you know, the steam vessels and the dual fuels and the dry fuels are the ones uh, on the longest term charters. Uh, and then you have, um, uh, you know, the, the newest and most efficient vessels, which are, you know, really perfect uh, for longer term charters on the shortest charters. Uh, you know, we do think that will change uh, going forward. If you look at the fleet today, it's around, you know, 500 vessels on the water. 200 of those are, uh, are steam vessels. Um, you know, around, um, you know, they're still on their sort of 20 year initial charters. By 2025, uh, you know, over 90 of those will have rolled off charters. Um, it's the same uh, situation on the, on the dual fuels and dry fuels. Um, you know, there's around just below 200 of those also. Uh, and, um, you know, by 2025, um, you know, uh, one third of those will have rolled off the long-term contracts. And, you know, talking to the charters, um, you know, the, these are the vessels uh, they want, uh, the, the latest generation, the Megis and the XDF. So I think there's uh, definitely, um, you know, interest for uh, for more longer-term charters uh, on on the latest generation, and uh, you know, but you just have to be sound to your strategy. But um, you know, securing some uh, more uh, longer-term business in in the market we're seeing today, that's uh, definitely a focus right now. And then, <coughs> as you said, uh, as you said, Adol, uh, is is there any? Uh, <coughs> Looking at the older vessels, they have. If you look at the steam vessels, they have CO2 emissions, which are quite high. Um, if you look at the TFDE, they have a methane slip that is sometimes too high for the charters to allow. Um, do you start to see how this channels into scrapping? It's currently at 40 years on average. Could you see the scrapping age come down in the coming years? Well, I, I think people at least are starting to realize that maybe the the steam vessel they're pretty much uh, goners, um, at least uh, sort of commercially. Um, of course, the technical life of an LNG vessel is, is 40 years. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean the commercial life is uh, 40 years. Uh, but you, you see um, charterers focusing more and more on uh, you know, ESG. Problem with the, the steam vessels is they have high CO2 emissions. Uh, problem with the tri-fuels and the dual-fuels, uh, I mean, they have lower CO2 emissions, but they have quite high methane slip, um, you know, so they actually have a, a pretty similar carbon footprint to, uh, to the steam vessels. You know, if you look at our fleet, we have uh, nine megis, uh, which is the high-pressure type. There's no methane slip. Uh, we have four XDFs, uh, which have a bit, but uh, still, uh, you know, ignorable compared to, to the older types. So, of course, with the whole focus on ESG, uh, you know, the charters uh, having to report, uh, you know, their carbon footprint for every vessel they charter, at least I think uh, for longer term business, you know, what we're hearing is, you know, not so keen on the steam and the tri-fuels and new fuels. Uh. And Andy, you've been quite successful in terms of renewing your fleet using also the MLP, but uh, but now ships, older ships are also coming off contracts uh, and... Uh, 
do you share the view that on the ESG focus, you sense that from charters that having an older ship now means that you have to play the spot market? Uh, you agree that scrap age or you said that 200 ships are goners. Uh, <laughs> is that, uh, do you agree on that? Well, a, a couple, couple of points. Um, I think firstly, there's, uh, as Harold mentioned, there's 200 odd steamships in the market, but they're of various ages. So you, you have a number of pre-2000 built ships that have been on 15, 20, 25 year contracts, often with the Japanese, um, who are reaching the end of those contracts and I think will struggle to compete with uh, the, the, newer, the newer ships of all propulsion types. Uh, for a lot of reasons, size size being one of them as well, not not just the the type of uh, propulsion, uh, and so our oldest ship is a 2006 ship. Um, so I, I think I think we're, we have a, a, a different footprint than some of the more structurally challenged steamships out there. Um, with respect to the uh, the ESG discussion, there, there's no question it's gaining more focus from customers. Um, but having said that, I I, I can't say that a emissions discussion today is driving the decision between taking our ship versus someone else's for a ship that's on the water. Um, that's not something we've seen. It's been much more about the economics of, you know, what the unit freight costs are and, and what, what do I need to make my trades work. Um, but I have no doubt that it will be, it'll continue to be important over but time. It, but is that true? I heard, heard even in Drybook, if you're going to fix a ship for a long period of time, they'd like, you know, the emissions to be uh, below a certain level. Uh, and with older ships having twice the fuel consumption and lower cargo intake, I would expect that if it's not evident now that it will, will increase in evidence. I, as I said, I think there's no question it'll, it'll, it'll continue to become important. Um, but it's not, uh, you know, I, I, it's not taking ships out of the market just yet because I think that the, the demand, as you're seeing from the rates, that we need every ship on the water employed right now. Um, does it change someone's thinking about a forward fixing of a ship for seven to ten years versus a mega year in XDF? It probably does, uh, but I think in the in the sort of here and now, it's it's one of several factors that people are considering. One thing one thing I wonder about is you you've ordered 25 percent of the LNG fleet over the past two years, uh, and we hear you know lots of the steamships coming off contract. Uh, uh, are all these orders for future demand, or is it also for replacing some? volume on the existing charters. So what's the volume potential for doing time charters having a spot fleet today? Uh, hold on. What's the... What's the, like, the volume potential if you have oh, a spot yeah. ship today yeah, or have people planned in advance? Uh, no, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we didn't really... I mean, we, uh, we were early ordering uh, our vessels, uh, you know, then also, of course, getting the best uh, delivery slots. Uh, it was not really a sort of as a replacement for older vessels. It was just uh, you know having having the most efficient vessels because because of the the whole technological shift you've seen uh, in in the market, but also all the new uh, LNG supply coming online, and also of course the I, I, you know it's one of the only markets where. Uh, where really uh, demand is uh, growing uh, very rapidly, and also supply is coming online very rapidly. If you look at the market. I mean, uh, 2000, it was 100 million tons per annum. Uh, in 2010, it doubled to 200 million tons per annum in uh, in supply, and uh, you know by next year it will double again to 400 million tons per annum. So it's a you know it's a massive growth, and it's projected to grow uh, up to you know probably 600 million tons by by 2025. So you know there is uh, definitely. Um, you know, demand for the vessels we have. Uh, and uh, as I said, uh, you know, these are 
are perfect for uh, for more longer term charters because you know like three of the vessels we have next year we we order with uh, what you call full relic system gives you a very low boil off cost six million dollars extra per vessel you don't order that system if you're going to operate in the spot market then you wasted six million dollars uh, per vessel you know so those vessels are perfect for longer term charters and of course the charters see this so uh, but it's more uh, for us. It's more about uh, timing the charters, um, uh, you know, right. <coughs> so I, I agree that you will see some fleet renewal from some of the ordering that you've seen. You know, in particular, the uh, Qatar expansion that's been discussed. A number of of their vessels um, struggle to burn LNG as a propulsion fuel, and I think they'll be replacing some of those with ships more like our two companies have over time. So I, I do think not every order you see is incremental to the fleet today, like it has been in historical years. Hmm. Um, Harald, touching a bit more into the, there's been a record amount of liquefaction FIDs made this year, so around uh, 70 million tons or 20% of the exports in 2018. Uh, there's been the US, Mozambique, Russia, to name, to name just a few. Okay. Uh, are any of these good counterparties to fix long-term contracts or are there some regions that are just off, off limits or just looking to fix one XDF vessel, for instance, or uh, to be more strict in what sort of vessels they're willing to take? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely op opportunities on uh, on those FIDs, but uh, you have to remember that uh, that's uh, really talking, uh, you know, 2023, 2024. Uh, you know, we have the last vessels delivering early 2021. So uh, I would say our focus right now is really on uh, on the on the near-term shortage of vessels and the opportunities that will create. But of course, it's good that uh, new uh, new capacity is coming to the market. And uh, you know, as Andy also said, this whole Qatar expansion, uh, you know, 33 million uh, tons uh, coming coming there. Um, where FID is expected this year, um, you know that's uh, gonna gonna need uh, you know 40 45 uh, vessels properly. Um, you know the Qataris also have the Golden Golden Pass uh, they've invested in. You know we're gonna really need another 25 uh, properly vessels there, um, and and then they have 25 steam vessels uh, which they probably would like to replace. So so that's where you sort of see the when you you when you read the papers about the Qataris ordering. Uh, up to 100 vessels. That's really a large, to a large extent, new demand coming online, but also replacing all the vessels. And of course, I think part of the the sort of um, ordering that's uh, been going on, um, you know, both last year and this year, is is really to to make sure that uh, you can actually get uh, yard slots uh, for. <laughs> for all the new capacity coming online, because uh, once the Qataris uh, go out there and order these vessels, that's gonna block uh, a lot of the R slots uh, going forward until 2023, because um, you know, there's, there's a limited amount of yards that can build LNG vessels. Um, you know, it's basically the three Korean uh, yards uh, who are building uh, a substantial part of this, and if, uh, you know, if you order a vessel today, uh, you know, you're probably talking uh, September uh, 2022 uh, delivery, three years. Um, so of course uh, people see this. Um, so uh, I think some of the ordering that's been going on is really to make sure that uh, you have vessel for um, for the capacity coming. Because you you see right now in the market there are basically no vessels available. So uh, and of course if you promise to deliver a cargo somewhere, 
and you can't get a vessel. You know, that's um, not very good uh, <laughs> being in that position. And, and Matt, I think you make an excellent point on the new FIDs. I believe this will be a record for total amount of new liquefaction capacity sanctioned under FID. And perhaps in contrast to some other, other panels the audience has heard from today, uh, this is a commodity that this year is expected to grow at 12% over strong growth we had last year um, on, on, a, on a compound annual rate between 2018 and 2025. It's forecast to grow at 6%. And so the, the embedded demand uh, in, in several economies for this commodity is incredibly strong, and now you're seeing the response from new multi-billion dollar projects that take years to finance and complete uh, uh, continue to show that, that forward growth that we're, you know, our businesses depend on. So it's, it's been, despite a year of relatively tepid global gas prices and relatively limited differentials between basins, uh, we're, we've seen, as I said, I think it's a record amount of new uh, new new uh, capacity sanctions. So, the fundamentals supporting the business are are incredibly durable. Yeah, and I, I think uh, you know also if you look <coughs> look at the LNG price, of course that's uh, taking a beating um, this year. Um, you know you 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 see a lot of supply coming also next year, but I think. To this year is really the peak, uh, sort of, of the of the oversupply, and then it's tampering off uh, going into to 2021. So um, that, of course, uh, you know, supports the probably higher LNG prices in uh, in Asia, which again supports a more uh, long haul trade, uh, which is really what's uh, sort of affected the market this year. Most of the cargoes going to Europe instead of uh, instead of Asia from the US. Like providing the audience with some numbers, uh, if you take Japan, Korea, China, India, they, they account for 65% of global LNG demand. And they've, over the past three years, taken about 70 to 90% of the growth uh, of demand. Uh, but this year, the top four are actually seeing flat imports year to date. Uh, and Europe has been a large, uh, you know, uh, growth engine. Uh, but now European inventories are, you know, close to full. Uh, Last year, I think we saw 30 ships in floating storage. Now we're counting 20, and we're early uh, October. Uh, so everyone keeps saying, you know, demand so strong, but demand in Asia has not been that strong this year. Uh, why is that? Well, I think Harold touched on it in, uh, a few moments ago. We did have an exceptionally warm winter in Asia last year, so the inventories there at the beginning of the year weren't weren't drawn down as much as expected. Um, and so, while we're not weathermen, it's probably unlikely that that repeats here in the 2019 to 20 winter. Um, and, I, and I think you, you quite rightly point out that floating storage has become part of the, the market dynamic, but that's, in, in our view, uh, driven as much by the, the contango in JKM between today and, say, February, where normally the the Asia price peaks in December, uh, at least going back the past five years or so. And this year, it's it's at least projected to peak a little bit later in the season, uh, which hopes, hopefully is a sign of maybe a more normalized weather environment and, and um, not quite the same inventory position they had to start the year. So uh, we're hopeful that, that the winter sort of lasts a little bit longer, so to speak. Um, and so far, the, the forward curve pricing seems to support that. Yeah, I think I, I agree on that. And of course, uh, you also had the, this uh, this whole trade war situation, um, you know, where what we hear is that the, the, <laughs> the last cargo going from the U.S. to China was in uh, February this year. Uh, so, of course, um, that has also affected sort of the, the trade pattern. Uh, 
I think it's, uh, you know, depending on what happens with that, but uh, I would say uh, sort of an, an obvious solution to reducing the deficit is uh, when, where you have China on one side with the highest uh, demand growth for LNG, and then you have uh, the US on, uh, on the other side with the highest supply growth of LNG. So then you can sort of do the maths. You need an agree trade agreement uh, for LNG markets to be positive, or uh, no? I think, but it's uh, that's it definitely going to be positive if that happens. If sort of uh, some sort of LNG uh, LNG trade, uh, that's going to make the market even tighter. There's some news on India uh, doing large expansion on the infrastructure as well. Uh, yeah, of course, that's also positive. It was just in the news, uh, you know, on Sunday actually that. Uh, um, you know, if you look at uh, China, they have, um, you know, been uh, uh, building infrastructure to get uh, gas out to, to the population. Um, you know, that's been more, more challenging in, in India. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was just in the news uh, on Sunday that uh, they've now uh, committed $60 billion uh, to connect the whole country to the, to the gas grid. And uh, that's going to be completed by 2024 because, uh, you know, that has... That is a market that has a fantastic potential. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, sort of pollution numbers, uh, 14 of the 15 most polluted cities are in India. So, of course, uh, you know, uh, the switching to gas uh, that uh, really helps uh, uh, helps the you know those numbers. Okay. So, uh, finally, entering the last uh, section, talking a bit more about the supply side considerations. Um, Andy, I want to start with you. You've seen year-to-date orders of a bit more than 30 LNGCs. Uh, so some context, uh, last year they ordered almost 16% of the fleet, uh, while this year run rate is uh, a bit more like 8%. Uh, so it's a slowdown, but uh, what, uh, what do you see driving this? Sure. So that, that's obviously something we keep a close eye on. Um, and, and what's actually pleased us this, this year, Matt, is that a number of the ships that were ordered last year that were ordered without contracts have actually seen contracts put against them. And so uh, based on our numbers uh, in, in 2020, you've got about 40-odd ships delivering and about 30 of them have contracts. So you, you've got a supply of, call it, 10 ships being added to the market, and hopefully there's time for them if the market's as strong as we think it's going to be to be chartered upon their delivery. Um, so there's, there's been a nice whittling away of that, of that sort of annual order book of ships without contracts. Um, I, I do think there, when we saw the highs that we saw last November, I guess it was, I, I do think you saw some, some owners, smaller owners, uh, maybe who are in other lines of shipping, uh, you know, order a, an LNG ship or two um, uh, and, and you know, doing so without contracts, and that, that seems to have slowed down. Um, I do think those owners will struggle to compete against our two companies in terms of finding you know, long-term business with the, the highest quality charters. Uh, you know, having an operational platform, I, I know we agree on this, is, is of huge value uh, to the shells and totals and engineers <coughs> of the world, and so that's not something that can be built by, by just ordering a ship. Um, so I, I think that those those players will be competing in a, in a slightly different part of the market than we are. But as I said, pleased to see a number of those unchartered ships get charters as we move through the course of this year. Yeah, and I think we're we're also pleased to uh, to see those uh, ships get charters because uh, you know we positioned ourselves with uh, five uncommitted vessels uh, next year, and that's uh, 
you know, being, being deliberate really because we see um, there will be very few ships available. And also, uh, you know, what we've, um, you know, as Andy says, it's important to have the right systems in place. Uh, we now, uh, you know, spe spent uh, a lot of time, uh, you know, building the company. If you go back two years, we had two vessels. Uh, now we have 13, uh, which is six run of water. But we're also bringing the, the technical management in-house uh, by the end of the year. Uh, which is, uh, you know, important for uh, for at least uh, the super majors in doing longer term business. So, you know, I think that's uh, also puts us in an extremely good position uh, with respect to more longer term opportunities uh, going into next year. Yeah, and what was also interesting to see last year was that despite all those orders, you had uh, you had new build prices barely moving up. It was 180 just above at the start of the year, and it was like mid 180s towards the, towards the end. Uh, you, you say, Harald, that the yards are increasingly getting full. Uh, how should we think about the new build price going going forward? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, the, the yards, they like uh, <laughs> building LNG vessels. Um, uh, and of course, there hasn't been uh, too much ordering in, in other segments. Um, so, um, you know, the, the I would say the the prices at the yards, although they've been increasing uh, sort of gradually. I think a lot of people have ordered uh, vessels on, on an expectations that uh, that yard prices will increase. Um, you know, uh, currently I think the latest down was uh, 188 million, uh, which is, uh, and then you can add another sort of 10 million in pre-delivery costs, so you're approaching sort of 200 million delivered cost. Um, you know, uh, we. As I said, we're early out, so our vessels are a lot cheaper than that. Uh, but I, I think also if you see, see, I mean, now the, the tanker market is booming. We know what happens every time the tanker market is booming. The tanker owners go and order vessels. So uh, that, that's definitely going to give uh, fewer available slots. And then you also have this whole Qatari expansion, which people are, people are worried about. So, uh, you know, when the yards uh, start seeing more orders, of course, they push prices up. So I could, you know, I, I think you could definitely see uh, new billing contract prices uh, approaching 200 million uh, going into to next year, which gives you a quite high delivery cost uh, compared to our vessels. Okay, so on that note, with the pledge to the crew owners that uh, it's about time to start ordering more, <laughs> we'll have that panel la later on. Uh, both uh, Andy and Harald, thank you for coming to this panel. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.